and it will soon be a directory where the public can go and browse and learn about different collectives and meta labels. Uh, for a meta label is a group of people creating a common identity for some shared cause, some shared purpose, and then having public releases uh, around that purpose. So a, a record label, like a punk label is a meta label, a book publisher is a meta label, a DAO can be a meta label, um, an activist organization is a meta label. And so we are going to highlight the power of these collective projects. And we're going to do that by having a directory where you can see these projects and where these projects can invite members or invite contributions and where they will be able to release work. Um, and for us, you know, releasing work could be they're releasing an album. It could be they're announcing a protest. It could be a blog post. And in our meta label universe, everything will exist within a, a consistent information architecture and kind of uh, metadata structure where we're creating context around all these works. So anything that's released through MetaLabel, you will see uh, who exactly made it, uh, how money is being distributed among the project. Uh, and all of these releases will exist within this larger context of what else a label has done. And so currently, um, there's not a place to showcase work like this. And really, there aren't any platforms that are thinking about like this kind of multiplayer mode of creativity. Um, and so what we have designed is a system by which members can be a part of a group. They can publish work together. They can share the economic rewards of what they made together. They can create a catalog of past work. They can drop new work. This is episode 32 of the Near Future Laboratory podcast, and I'm your host, Julian Bleeker. This conversation I had with Yancey Strickler, who you'll probably recall was one of the founders of Kickstarter, has been one I've been looking forward to probably since I read his book last spring, This Could Be Our Future. I was aware of Yancey, of course, as I had myself done a couple of successful Kickstarter campaigns, and I was taken in by the spirit and sensibility of Kickstarter, you know, helping creators connect to their communities. I get all that. And I wanted to hear more from people for whom that principle was motivating and central. So that book I mentioned, whose subtitle is A Manifesto for a More Generous World, it really resonates with the creative, intuitive soul in me. In the meantime, distracted with lots of other things, I never really made a concerted effort to connect directly with Yancey. That is until I heard through Patrick Tengay's newsletter that he was now doing something called MetaLabel. Meta what? What's that? Yeah, I wondered the same thing. And while I knew I could just self-learn and read, I decided I wanted to talk to the guy behind it instead. I mean, what's the point of having a podcast if you can't do that? So I did a bit of research, of course, and listened to a talk Yancey gave at ETH Denver and a podcast, of course, and what can be found on the website metalabel.xyz. But I had questions. And not only that, I couldn't quite feel into the concept beyond the analog that they offer to the indie record label. But what else? What does a world of meta labels look like? Is it just a world of brands on the blockchain? There had to be something else, because I believe ANSI is a kind of super thoughtful, considered sort. They wouldn't just do anything without the kind of care and attention I would expect. So, as always, please consider supporting this podcast. You can do so right now on patreon.com slash nearfuturelaboratory. Thank you to all my wonderful, wonderful patrons. We're growing slowly but surely and confidently with each episode of the podcast and with each issue of the newsletter. We're getting closer to a real true representation of the value of all these fun conversations with remarkable, beautiful, engaged, creative souls. Thank you for your support. Oh, one last thing. I'm doing a bit of an experiment. 
So this podcast with Yancey is about Yancey, but we get right into discussing Metal Label after we sort of warm ourselves up. On Wednesday, April 20th at 3 p.m., I'm going to do our next general seminar on Metal Label. Yeah, that's right. The topic will be Metal Label. Come to general seminar and let's unpack and dig into what it all means, because right now it's a metaphor. I mean, you know, it's a real thing in that there are six or seven people working on stuff and building things. But it still doesn't make sense in the most beautiful way in which emerging things don't make sense. It's becoming. And if you want to help me and 16 others start to figure out what the future of creative communities might look like, if that's even close to what's going on here, please go to GeneralSeminar.com and sign up for General Seminar number 20. That's GeneralSeminar.com. Okay, now, no more preamble. Here's my conversation with Metal Label Guy and one of the founders of Kickstarter, Yancey Strickler. Your levels all right? Yeah, I think they're fine. Cool. You finding yourself having to like kind of kid out to be the uh, in this in this new wild, weird weird times with uh, yeah, definitely. definitely. I'm just a proto YouTuber. Uh, I mean, I, I had during the first two years of the pandemic was uh, running a community, doing weekly Zooms, so I had to like get my rig on. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was the is was that was the bento, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kicked it in there for for a minute. Um of, it, it was a very it was a very interesting moment where it was like early last early oh, some summer. When was it? I guess it would have been I guess it was 21. It was a it's a great experience. It it, it may very well return at some point. Um but yeah, it's, it, I'm really, I got a lot out of that and, you know, it seems like a, a lot of people did. Yeah. Is, is it possible to, to imagine like the, the line that goes through that, that goes through, I guess, I mean, you know, as, as far back as you want to go through to, to that, um, I think, you know, I don't want to assume any kind of particular connections from the, you know, the, the, the impetus or the spirit that moved you to start Kickstarter and the relationship between that creative culture, community building. But if you were to describe that, that through line, how might you characterize the, the, the relationship between, and even, even before, like some of the things that I've heard that you've done that led into that? Um, well, I think that I, I have found that through lines are most visible looking backwards mm. and the most important moment from a moment you won't know for a while. In the past year or two, I have begun to better see how the different projects of my life have intersected with each other and how they've sort of one experience created the next. And um, the, the current startup I'm working on meta label is like kind of all of them mushed together in a way. Um, but I think it's like, I'm someone that just always grew up loving reading, loving culture, um, being curious about the world. I, I grew up on a farm and the middle of nowhere and um 
and I was just always sort of reaching out for the world and for my and for my place in it, and just been driven by an, an intense curiosity. And that that has just that there's also just the good luck of like being born to where I could be 21 in the year 2000 and be there at the moment the internet is taking over culture at the moment I'm beginning my sort of professional life and you know being an early blogger just experimenting a lot with early web things and yeah and it it just it just kept rolling what i now kind of see is that like there's just been a lot of i've been involved in creating a lot of structures for helping people contextualize their lives uh, contextualize their work so it could be funded, contextualize their creative practice so that it can be appreciated. Uh, in meta label, you know, contextualizing their entire creative output so it can gain in its meaning. Um, but there's just a way that my mind tends to look at things where in my in my own bento, my own personal bento, like my now me is to show people the matrix. Like that's how I like try to sloganize what is it in general that I do, the character of me, what is it that I do? Um, and so I think that there's a lot of sort of structural thinking paired with things that interest me of being creative, of getting new projects off the ground and of working with others that yeah, just keeps, just keeps creating output. And, uh, and each project on its own was not one that was premeditated or really thought about. It just kind of came out of life. And then over time it gains and, and its mass and oh. its meaning. A year ago, I was, um, I was running the Bento Society and I was um, you know, trying to grow that and actively managing a, a community there, running a lot of programming. I was uh, had a lot of writing commitments I'd made. I was working on a couple of book projects that I was very excited by. I was advising a lot of projects. And I had a whole slate of things on my plate that I was all really proud of, things that I felt lucky to be spending my time on. But yet... I didn't actually enjoy the experience of it that much. Hmm. Um, and I realized it's because I felt there are a few things. One is I felt really isolated, even though I was a member and leader of a community, I still felt the responsibility quite strongly. I felt, I still felt a constant sense of obligation to others that I couldn't ever quite solve. You know, it didn't go away. Uh, even after I would like have a great weekly bento on Sunday, I'm thinking about the next one right. and I'm thinking about what about the groups this week? How is that happening? And there's just like a constant investment of energy that was happening. Um, and, and I had this day of like, I was just ready to just like throw up my hands and quit everything. Like I just mm. kind of wanted to be free of all of these feelings. And that's when I was reading a book about the history of indie rock uh, called Our Band Could Be Your Life. And I've read this book several times, written by a mentor of mine, Michael Azrad. And one of the big takeaways I, I, I had from this book is that these are, band, these, these are bands are making music, making art, expressing themselves in a way that no one else cared about. Like it sounded like noise. It literally sounded like noise. And so for these people to be able to make their work, 
they had to invent a whole context for themselves. They had to create venues where they could play. They had to make a scene where people would come and see them and they could go on tour to other scenes. They had to create their own institutions like labels. So there was like a business structure that allowed them to interact with the rest of the world. And, and all of these things happened because they just didn't make sense in the world that existed immediately around them. And reading this book, the, the label, the labels in particular really stood out to me because these were like one or two people doing a lot of back office things, a lot of admin things, a lot of creative things, a lot of curatorial things, many different functions. But ultimately, all of them added up to, if you're a punk label, they all added up to manifesting more punkness in the world. Like everything they did had this clear outcome. And when I looked at all these different things on my plate, um, bento books, projects, uh, and thought of them, what if they were more like a catalog? I suddenly saw that they all had the same intention. They're, they were all ex expressing new concepts of value. They're all, they're all pushing for a different concept of the self. And in some of these projects, I was like the solo singer. It was my record. But in other projects, I was producing someone else or I was collaborating or I was just a part of something. And that, you know, it wasn't meant to be me that was centered. And that way of seeing my work was, was really liberating. And I, I, instead of feeling overwhelmed by how much there was to do, um, I, instead I felt empowered to think about, well, these have been my releases. These have been the things I have made. This is my catalog. Um, how do I want to add to it? You know, if it's a catalog, I don't have to do everything forever. Um, I'm just building a world incrementally over time with each release I make. And that became a different way to relate to what I was doing. And, and in a way that shifted my horizons. Um, and, and, and what was interesting was I initially wrote this up as a email I was going to send out. I was going to fall back to the same move as four. It's like, oh, I'm just gonna, here's a great idea. I'm just going to send this out to everybody. And I just had this flash of like, that's exactly what I haven't been liking doing. And maybe I should, maybe I should relate to this concept a little differently. And so at the suggestion of my wife, I instead just started sending the draft of that newsletter as a Google doc individually to people whose opinions I really respected. And I would write, to the author, John Higgs. And I would say, John, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things. There's something I keep thinking about. I just want to share you an early draft and just see what thoughts it jogs loose for you. And like, here's a link to the Google doc. And this led to a series of fantastic conversations of it being a helpful lens for him, of him having great suggestions of like who else I should think about. And so I ended up having maybe, you know, 50 plus of these kinds of interactions, one-on-one -on -one with people, sharing the idea one-on-one -on -one and just hearing what people thought. And through that, this like germ of a realization evolved very organically without me trying at all. In fact, me actively resisting it, but like it evolved into a, into a product, into a tool, into a, into an organization, into a, into like a squad, a label. It, it, it evolved into, for me, an escape from single player mode Mm -hmm. To now merely me really being in a group of peers. And, you know, there's so much about that experience. I feel like I'm still learning. Um, but this idea of like, you know, having this discovery, not rushing to publish it, instead to say, what would be the most meaningful interactions to happen from this? And that involving like talking to people one on one, that involving, you know, sitting with an idea longer. 
and I feel like I'm still experiencing the rewards and sort of, you know, what it is to live in that process. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the punk example, or the, I guess the indie label, and then you sort of characterized it through, uh, through punk, you know, sort of super resonant in a way, but I guess what I'm not, but, and I'm also wondering in your mind, what, what's, what was the disconnect between what made sense to, to the punk rockers who want to create more punkness in the world that didn't make sense to whatever was on the other side? What, where was, where was that just kind of, um, I mean, sense making is so fascinating because oftentimes we like resist it. If we see something that we don't, we're like, whoa, what do you, I don't get what you're wearing at all. So I'm just going to, you know, no, not in my world. Um, and then, and then the, yeah, what, what, I, to use that language of today, I would say some people got punk pilled, mm, right? Yeah. And and to be pilled to me means you're willing to dedicate a portion of your identity to this, mm-hmm. right? Like you're 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 willing to get tattooed, literally or figuratively, for this. Like it's a part of you, and scenes like punk and indie rock. Um, that, high, that have a high barrier to entry that you either get it or you don't. Crypto is the same thing. You either get it or you don't. Those are scenes that the steeper the climb, the more meaningful it is to be a part of it. And, and for a lot of people, like in early punk, rejecting what was clearly like a facade of a mainstream culture or you know patriotic beliefs they've been taught um, just re- rebelling against those things felt what was meaningful and, you know, punk or the arms there that, that they ran into. Um, but I think it's about, it's about your identity and just something about the energy or the ethos speaking to your values in a deep way. Like for me, I am, I am raised almost equally by evangelical Christianity and like discord records, uh, the ethos of Discord Records, where which which breeds like a very egalitarian worldview, mm-hmm. and so egalitarian institutions like punk labels and indie labels are things that have deep appeal to me, and that feel righteous and true to me. And but for other people, these values you know don't matter. Their values are something else, and so the the things that are meaningful to me are invisible to them, and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so where does the, uh, where does, in, in, I mean, there's a discussion. So I'm wondering something out loud, which is, um, how do you, is, is there a way, or is it, is it a, is it a worthy ambition to do, do you, do you teach, do you, does one encourage people to kind of get pilled, whatever the topic, whether it's punk or crypto or any number of, you know, patriotism, uh, conservative beliefs, whatever it is, or do you teach people how to make sense of the world and allow them to, you know, almost like um, adopt multiple simultaneous perspectives? Like, I see you, I see why you want more punk in the world. Mm-hmm. and and I'm going to celebrate the the love that you're expressing for this cultural right. form. And also I'm going to keep wearing dad jeans and maybe every once and again, I'll, I'll go to your show and I'm not going into it because I like the music. It's because I love seeing this exuberant expression of, 
selves, people mm-hmm. enjoying, and then and then just and and then like and then you, you know you go back and you go back to your Schumann or or you know, your Coltrane or whatever else that you're like that stuff wasn't music, but I love that I love that they built culture, I love that they're making meaning. Yeah, it feels to me like like learning how to do that uh, to adopt that sort of perspective is is almost key to like at an existential level. It's how yeah. we're to get along, I guess. Yeah. I mean, another way I might um, frame that is like, where in the value stack are you? So I think that our, our personal values um, are like, just like there's a technology stack of different technologies chaining together to create a series of events. I think values as a behavior guide it's a stack of like a moral layer at the deepest level, what feels right and righteous and true to us. I think one level above that is like a penalty layer. Like, what are we afraid of? What, what, are, the, what are the punishments that we're afraid of that keep us observing those particular morals? And on the top level, there's incentives. Like, what is it that we're drawn to do? What is it that we're made to want to do to fulfill whatever those deeper beliefs are? essentially all capitalist products like function at the incentive layer, right? Of just like, there is a desire, we're going to stoke that desire. We're going to feed that desire. We're going to respond to it. Um, at a penalty level, it's like, you know, speaking to fears, things like that. Um, the, the, the challenge most people have is to see beyond their own personal value stack of what they believe to be truthful or untruthful or right and wrong. And to be able to even see something and say, I don't like your music, but I appreciate that you love something. Like that's pretty, that's pretty evolved, I think, in like in in appreciating another person. That's seeing, that's seeing to someone else that, oh, you have a some deep-seated desire that manifests itself in a way that I can't totally connect with, but I respect that desire. You know, on that, on that moral level, I can connect with that. Um, you know, I think. I think different projects maybe demand different areas of the stack where you engage. Like Bento, shortly after coming up with Bento, it occurred to me that like, hey, this is a value system that can make someone more effective at values I disagree with. Like someone could become a better jihadist or white nationalist or whatever as a result of the Bento. Like it could absolutely lead to them acting more true to beliefs I disagree with, you know. And I, th- I like struggled with that for a few days. And then I thought, you know what? The fact that this is a system that can create outcomes that I don't like, I think that means this is a good system because it's just revealing, it's asking people to better understand the truth inside of them. And it's neutral on what that truth may be. So I would view that as like, that's something, that's something that's functioning at this moral level. Um, you know, meta label, I think we are trying to pill people. You know, I think I do want to squad pill people. I, I, I want to... I want people to recognize that turning themselves into a content factory to please algorithms is a lonely experience and is like less than what we can be. And that there is greater emotional, creative, and even economic rewards in collaborating with others and having a group of people you do good work with. And as a part of like trying to squad squad pill people, we have to create the tools and the stories and the inspiration and the know-how for that to be possible. Um, there, it's like, I believe that that moral level is already true in people, but it's like, how can you activate it? How can you make it, how, how can you make it practical for people? 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I think different, different categories of behavior and belief systems are like programmed to touch different levels of that stack. And the most beautiful place to get to is where you started of just like, you know, the, the kind of the New York at its best, you do you, man, you do you, <laughs> you know, that's like the apex of, you know, uh, uh, of just like full total awareness of a New Yorker, you do you. Yeah. And, uh, and when we can, when we can all get there, it's beautiful. Um, but sometimes, sometimes we want to paint people a picture of what, what you can be, you know, uh, and that's, that's also helpful. Yeah. I, 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 I think I have a good understanding from what you described and some, and, and other, other, other sorts of conversations you've had in the past about where it came from and why you, why you're feeling it. What is it now? What, what, what are the ways in which people engage it? And, and yeah. I mean, right now it is a small squad of six people um, collaborating together, six of us who are the founding team. It's a community of another 30 or 40 people whose brains we want to listen to as we develop this. Um, and it will soon be a directory where the public can go and browse and learn about different collectives and meta labels uh, for a meta label is a group of people creating a common identity for some shared cause, some shared purpose, and then having public releases uh, around that purpose. So a, a record label, like a punk label is a meta label, a book publisher is a meta label, a DAO can be a meta label, um, an activist organization is a meta label. And so we are going to highlight the power of these collective projects. And we're going to do that by having a directory where you can see these projects and where these projects can invite members or invite contributions and where they will be able to release work. Um, and for us, you know, releasing work could be they're releasing an album. It could be they're announcing a protest. It could be a blog post. And in our metal label universe, everything will exist within a, a consistent information architecture and kind of uh, metadata structure where we're creating context around all these works. So anything that's released through MetaLabel, you will see uh, who exactly made it, uh, how money is being distributed among the project. Uh, and all of these releases will exist within this larger context of what else a label has done. And so currently um, there's not a place to showcase work like this. And really there aren't any platforms that are thinking about like this kind of multiplayer mode of creativity. Um, and so what we have designed is a system by which members can be a part of a group. They can publish work together. They can share the economic rewards of what they made together. They can create a catalog of past work. They can drop new work. And yeah, and so it's uh, at a very core level, it's, it's that. And then there are other pieces, you know, special magical pieces that we're sprinkling around that to make it fun and compelling. Um, but really there's like two things we're solving. One is painting people a picture, making tools for creativity or creativity in multiplayer mode. So not just grinding away on your Substack every week, hoping you get some more readers, but instead banding together with other people with whom you see the world and making projects together. Um, and then the other thing it's doing is, is it's really creating a better context around creative work. Um, when I had this process of seeing my past work as a label. Um, when I went to make my 
sketch of my of my past releases, I was looking at Medium, like YouTube, Substack, my personal site, like all across the web to create my catalog. So it's our our creative catalogs are dispersed widely across different places, and so Meta Label gets a gives a consistent framework that lets you own a context around your work, uh, and that lets you create a forever record of it. Um, you know, right now most artists, you know, our work is on our personal websites and like probably one year after we die, they'll go offline <laughs> and they're on personal websites that aren't in even structured data. It's just like pages with basic HTML laying out all of our most important work that we've made. But there's no, there's no library of Congress of this. There's no, there's no real, real record of this in a real kind of way. And, you know, our, our, our catalogs are our autobiographies. So we think that is just an incredibly important piece of the puzzle. And so the, the meta label, the meta label directory is going to solve both those challenges. And, and then the, the other, the other piece to be aware of is just that there's also a network where being a part of meta label will put you in a space with other people, other artists who are using these tools where we're creating programming, uh, community, connecting people to each other. You know, if I look at Kickstarter, it's like, 500,000 plus creators have made a project through the platform. You know, we've never really done anything to put them in touch with each other, to let people learn from one another, to create a community where the company is accountable uh, to your creator base. I think those are all ways that, um, yeah, the, the, the next generation of uh, creator-driven platforms are going to be different. And so, you know, we're, we're looking to be on the front lines of that. Okay. I'm getting it. I'm so I'm starting to feel it. Um, and, and I think what, as you're, as you're describing it, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it like in, in, in the mode of like trying to, of creating a, it feels to me like a lot of what you're doing is like, okay, we're trying to create, you have in your mind, in your imagination, your, 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 the core team and probably lots of other people supporting around. It's like, yeah, okay. I, I can, I feel this, this is something and it probably has a lot, you know, generational. So even just the experiences that you in particular, but also other other people. So I, you know, I did a couple of Kickstarter campaigns and like what, what happened? And you get a sense and a feel of the evolution of the culture of it and what mm-hmm. it means in the world and how it's meant to operate. And you get to that point, you know, just like a lot of like any cultural endeavor. If you were there at the beginning and then later on, you're kind of like, you know, I guess you, you can feel this or like when I lived in Dumbo in Brooklyn, like I lived in there properly when you could not get a cab back there, nor find mm-hmm. a slice of pizza. Now you can get a $15 slice of pizza. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so you, you see those experiences and your relationship to it is, is, is complicated to the point where you start imagining either, either you go the kind of rough New Yorker side, it's like you kids don't know, or you go the side of like, how can we evolve this? And mm. some of the things that you're describing, I, I see you playing around with in a productive way. And I see the, I see the act of creation happening with the, the various metaphors and allusions that you're using to other kinds of systems. So mm-hmm. Library of Congress, like pop, something really popped really quickly in my mind because it had all these associations with public good, with don't worry about it, it's going to be here. We're going to mind it. We're going to take care of it. Um, we it's it's chartered in a very specific way that almost feels like indelible and concrete. Um, it's not subject to the whims of I mean maybe it is who knows but government's weird but to the whims of congressional partisanship or whatever. Um, and 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 th- the metaphor of the label 
I, I sort of get, I get it from the, from the way in which you're describing it in its relationship to punk music like that. The, the, the part of it that gets a little bit, where it just starts slipping a little bit, which is, I'm not saying that this is what, you know, I'm not saying anything to take away from it, but in my mind, I also think about the, the complexity of those kinds of cultures in, in, in music in particular, I'm probably taking the metaphor way too far, but just like the, you know, what happens in that world. And it's funny, my brother just sent me a picture of, um, from back in the day, his band, when we were, when I was like the manager. So I would go rent the van when we went on tour and that kind of thing of, of his first band, when we were living in Brooklyn, probably not his first band, but the one that really had the most sustenance. And man, that was a, that was a really challenging world and fraught in a lot of different ways, like mm-hmm. who would get what gig. And one of the things I'm, I, the library of Congress really super helps. That's a really good one. Insofar as before that, I was wondering, is this like, is, is, is this too close to the model of the, the publisher or aggregator um, or like um, some of the stories that, that I haven't experienced, I've only experienced indirectly because I have a lot of people like in, friends and um, amazing creators in the games industry and you get them down for a beer and they just tell all kinds of terrible stories about you know what this supposedly beautiful wonderful creative world looks like because of the networks of relationships between power financialization who's got the money and the usual tension that comes between money and the creative consciousness which which the creative consciousness is is prepared to be exploited because it's something that they can't help but do i'm curious about the metaphors and and how you can find the powerful metaphors that make people that help people take them by the hand so they do get pilled and they do understand yeah, i mean i i definitely think that yeah pub- publishers major labels major film studios these are not these are not institutions that have the public's heart uh and for a good reason um they are top-down engines for capital that have creative ip as like the meat at the center of them um so yeah i i I don't i don't take any analogs from those systems i i take those as like um yeah words of warning like do not go those directions um you know i i go to indie record labels because they are what inspired me to a great degree and they are you know, they're, they're just like an indie record label is world building, you know, K records like invented a different idea of the Pacific Northwest and people's minds through the releases it put out. And it did so like largely out of passion and love and like a real care. And, and that doesn't happen by a single artist making their, the, a catalog of work. It happens from a group of artists that are all contributing to some shared vision from different perspectives that I think is so powerful. I really see the label form as a recipe. It's a recipe for cultural influence. Um, the, the two, the two labels, what I see as labels that like really made me see things that way. One was reading a book about the history of the enlightenment, a Bill Bryson book about the enlightenment and reading about the Royal society. And in 1660, the Royal Society was a group of uh, a few English men who formed the first social club, the world's first social club. And it was around a new concept of called science. And they had this idea that they would pool their money and they would fund what we would now call scientific experiments, but they would give people money to 
run experiments and document what they did. And they created a scientific journal, the first zine, but they created like a bi-monthly or quarterly journal where they would publish the results of these different scientific uh, experiments. And the whole purpose of this was to just establish a scientific point of view in the world. And this is a label. This is a group of people who created a single identity, the Royal Society, that identity had a goal, promotion of scientific thinking. And they had the structure of, of releases of like a nude journal, you know, every three months. And that literally, literally laid the seeds for the enlightenment and the scientific revolution, you know, and it, and it wasn't like, here is the single product we are making, or here is the single genius that we were holding up. It was a system, uh, a system with a clear goal that just proved to be enormously successful. Uh, I see the whole earth catalog as being a sim very similar kind of project. Uh, I see the website now, uh, Mischief, mischief.xyz is being very similar. Where they have these drops every week that are like these weirdly manipulative, like kind of fucked up hyper-capitalist things. They're a label that's revealing the how manipulative capitalism is. And they're just trying to outdo it every week with like every two weeks with something different. But in all these projects, there is this, there is this hyperstructure of a, what I call a meta label, but group of people, shared purpose, shared identity, public releases. And that's like a, those, that, that's an organizational structure. That's a, that, that's a, that's a model for influence for a porous type, for like a, a porous voice where different people can contribute their individual voice to the same goal, but yet it's not chaos. And, and yeah, so I, I just really believe that that is a, a form that has a lot of utility and that has proven itself to be valuable for several centuries, but that people don't like it now because major labels are gross and because the creator economy has recentered us to think indie means you have no help whatsoever. Right. Rather than indie, meaning I'm a part of a small group of people who have no help whatsoever. Right. Indie, right. Indie. Yeah. And indie, indie got taken away from indie labels. They got taken away by creator economy platforms that wanted to focus on unsigned talent where they didn't have to pay copyright fees and where you could kickstart your network. And so the, the, even the concept of indie changed. Um, and so I view this as being like a rich structure and form that has a bad brand because of some shit people recently, but also because of who the winners in culture are now. Yeah. And the fact that like record labels have gone from a logo on every product they release to now they're a non-clickable footnote in a Spotify screen. Um, and those are, yeah, those are choices of power and, uh, and centering. And so I think that's something that, that can change, but I, I hear you that it's a, it's a word that definitely at first people are going to look in your, you know, like you're trying to do what with what now? Like, didn't we all agree that sucks? It's like saying, I've got a great new horse and buggy, you know, I want to show you. Um, but, but yeah, I just think people are misreading the form. And I, and I think that if, to me, the, the first phase of meta labels uh, existence is getting existing collaborative projects to adopt our tools and our language. And we're hearing from a lot of those groups already. The second phase is getting individual creators who are grinding away in the creator economy now to get them to squat up, to create collective projects, uh, and to see that as an alternative form of creating. And 
if we can establish that as a norm, as we can, if we can get that in the incentive layer, the desire layer of the value stack, right? Then, then you can make a cultural movement. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so the pill's taken hold. <laughs> great. 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 Yeah. You didn't need for thirty minutes beforehand. I hope. It's, yeah. <laughs> So I think the thing that's, so it's beautiful because there are a couple of layers in which I'm, lo- I'm really enjoying this. One is I'm feeling the pill take a hold. I'm understanding it's, it's making sense. Just to be clear, I wasn't reluctant for it to make sense. I wasn't like, I don't know about this. I'm going to make short work of this Yancey guy. In this <laughs> but it was, it was like, I wanted it to make sense, which is, which is precisely the reason why I wanted to, I wanted to have this conversation. The other, the, so that's one level. The other level is that very particularly like you know in this in this moment like you know in in these last few weeks i've been in a position where i've i've had to describe what you know i don't even you know let's i'm just going to use an old-fashioned word my organization the near future laboratory is and i've been in in a fun way struggling with thinking about what what yeah what is it you know looking you know again looking back like i and I've, and I've, my, my, my simple line is like, well, it started as a blog and then a few other people. And then I was asked to go do some talks and then people confused it for actually a, you know, a, a lab with a receptionist desk and an elevator or whatever. And I kind of played along with that to say like, yeah, we do, you know, I, I use that as a metaphor. This is a place where things happen. It's not just a blog. Then a few other people joined along and then a few more people. And it was always from the beginning I made very clear, I do not want this to be a place where we have to, that, that is financially based. In other words, I want it to be more like a playground. I want it to be like my backyard. It's just a place where everyone's again, we gather and we do stuff. And over time, that's precisely what's happened just kind of organically, like, you know, ring up a dozen people and say like, Hey, meet me in Detroit. I want to workshop this idea. And people would, I mean, it, 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 it blows me away that people would come on their own dime and they, you know, they'd be like, oh, where are you guys staying? Oh, we met this Airbnb or I found this one place. Okay, cool. And it would just kind of, or, you know, organically kind of, and then we would create something. We would make a thing. And I'm seeing that now as like this, this, you know, this release or this drop at the time, it was like, we, you know, we made the thing, but the structure was interesting. And recently when people asked me that, um, who are, who are sort of maybe soliciting, like, do you guys work? What do you guys do? How do we work with you? This kind of stuff there. I literally asked the question, how do we work with you? And I've struggled to resist saying like anything that alluded to an agency model, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I constantly sort of, um, and, and describing to them and trying to find the language that I think they could grok to say, we're a collective. I can count, you know, I can count about 800 people who I would say are, have, have, you know, put their hand up and said, I want to be a part of this, of that maybe 50 are quite active. And so, well, who are these people? And you said, you got to describe, it's like A to Z artists to, to zoologists and everything in between. And some people like get it. They, they, it almost feels like they're, okay, this feels futuristic. This is, this is a modern structure, really interested in how this might play out. But it, but I feel like now I've got, I've got a little bit more like language and just sort of ideas about it. And a little bit, maybe, I guess, um, thank you, reassurance that I'm not off my rocker that there are other ways of organizing and doing, you know, doing, doing creative work that do not have to just rely on the old fashioned 
structures? Yeah, I mean, I view like the the rise of DAOs as a conversation point and as a fact. Like the rise of DAOs is is the smoke, but not the fire. The fire is that our online our online groups are. Hold on. Uh, sorry about that. No worries at all. Um, the the fire is that our online lives are maturing, and that I, I have a theory that the internet the internet re individualized us. It it made us small nodes in a giant global network. Um, we've been learning what it is to work with that to live in that. Um, in past periods of individualization, like the 12th century was when the individual first emerged as a concept as people began to escape their family cults and the first cities got formed. And as people began to leave their homes for the first time and be around strangers, there were these new institutions that were created of the city, the university, the guild, the monastery, the first thing that liberated individuals did was they created new ways to collaborate and work together and to do so for reasons other than blood ties or religion, who they worshiped. Um, something similar happened at the end of the 19th century during the Gilded Age, which was seen as like the height of individualism up until that point, there became a big push for more public energy. And the Boy Scouts, the Sierra Club, the Parent Teachers Association, the Teamsters, American Bar Association, all these major institutions of the 20th and 21st century were all formed during like a three decade period when people had all this energy around, we have to, we have to respond to this hyper individualism. Um, I think that what's happening now is that after these first few decades of the internet refactoring uh, all of humanity and changing our social relationships, that we are now relearning the power of groups that we are now creating internet native structures really for the first time that we're doing so in ways that are more evolved and where we're trying to do harder and more complicated things and so i think a project like yours uh an emergent community coming out of a blog and beginning to evolve itself into something that affects the material world like that is a very modern form that it's hard to find really close analogs to, but that is an increase. It's an increasingly common form. And, and it's a sign of, it's a sign of the system that we're living in maturing. You know, I wrote a piece before about the dark forests of the internet these spaces where we go to be real because the, the main channels, of the internet are unsafe. Um, and so these dark forests are, are evolving. They're evolving into companies. They're evolving into social movements. Uh, they're evolving into different structures. And so I see, I see the meta label as one of those structures. It is the cultural expression of those structures. It is, it is the structure through which groups of disparate people who all care about the same thing can collaborate and make a creative output together. If I think about all the different ways that organize like digital first organizational types that will exist. I believe that is one, that is one important one. Um, so we're trying to establish like some rails and some norms for what that is, but I see it as part of a much larger suite of things that's happening. 
And in many conversations I've had with collectives over the past year to come to better understand what we're making a metal label, over and over and over, I've heard people not dissimilar from you talk about how they struggled to find language to explain what they are for so long. And the concept of being a label or being a metal label is one that clicks for people. You know, I, I don't know that, that that they go off and begin using that word, that the, that language that day, but the idea that they have a catalog, the idea that there are past releases, the idea that you're doing work on your own and also work releasing work by others, the idea that everything is adding up the same consistent goal, the idea that that can have a architectural shape and a structure and not just be this blobby thing that you feel like a Jenga board falling over when someone asks you do what you do for a living. Or like a slightly embarrassed that you can't just say something. Yeah. Like, I got it. Cool. Yeah. So this, this is, uh, there are a lot of those kinds of projects. There are more and more of them. They're a sign of the maturity of the systems that we're living within the systems that we've created by our own actions. And, and I, I think it's a powerful, a powerful space of activity and one that's only going to grow. And I, you know, so I, I see, I see this sort of this, this structure, this hyperstructure as being a, a useful one to help people make sense of existing projects. And then one that can empower you to act moving forward or to start something new. Yeah. Is, is there, is there, what's the relationship between um, meta labels as you've been describing it and, and um, I don't know, you know, like crypto. Like, is it, is it, is there an association in, in your, in your evolution of it, as you think about it, that is tightly linked or is it be, uh, around the, the moment of, of change in the way in which people sort of relate to and associate with power, which I think is you know, one of the, one of the interesting through lines, at least for me of of crypto as a, as a, you know, as many cultures, but with, with certain common themes is like, Hey, but you know, we, we want, we don't want these kind of relationships to these powerful entities this way anymore. And this may facilitate that. I'm, I'm crypto pilled along one vector, um, which is that the people who create value for systems should receive value. And if I look at Kickstarter, you know, that's a, that's a powerful model and form and structure that also involved the contributions of many people to like be what it is, you know, YouTube, YouTube is a framework. All the work of making videos like is done by other, it's done by other people outside of the organization. But the idea that ownership and steward and stewardship only being controlled by people who are employed or who, who are, who put money into these projects. It's hard for me to, to sit well with that. Mm -hmm. And so where I am fully on board is the idea that um, ownership and eventual upside in institutions that we participate in is something that should be widely distributed and should be transparent. And, and I like the values and norms of of crypto and how it handles that in a lot of ways. Um, you know, a, a, a good token launch is one where at least 50% of the future uh, ownership of the project will be owned by the people who use it. 
right? You're like exiting to community from the beginning and the structure of, of how you're aiming to be governed. So that is something I'm, I'm fully on board with. Um, I see that primarily as like a kind of a back office function of like, um, of just how we track the value that's made, that's contributed to MetaLabel and that that is rewarded down the line. Uh, and that's something that we view as like a moral imperative of our project. So I, I think that part is incredibly important. Um, I think that, I think the blockchain is a place of uh, permanence, of unstoppable, unstoppable records, I think is also a powerful concept that I think lends itself to certain use cases that are pretty interesting. Um, and then beyond that, like I'm, I'm fairly skeptical and, uh, and, you know, I cringe at so much of what I see is the discourse around web three and crypto, but yeah, there's just a couple underlying functions that to me are so meaningful that, you know, even though I think probably 80% of the simulations end up in dystopia, you know, like I'm just enough of a, of an optimist to want to fight for those 20% and to, and to feel like the same egalitarian values that have driven me from the very beginning, that those are things that when paired with a powerful digital tool, you know, maybe they can be really meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of those, it feels like it's one of those things where you have to be prepared to accept multiple kinds of um, underlying motivations and, and, and themes insofar as, uh, I, you know, just speaking personally, like that was the only way that I could really find my way to uh, be enthusiastic enough to kind of participate in it to where I, I could also simultaneously expect the, uh, the, the, I guess the, the heavy financialization of stuff that just seemed to be this um, is, is definitely a, is definitely a right kind of running theme and all that. The um, okay. So, so, so one more, one more, one more uh, thing that I, I really want to, I'm curious about. So if you were to, um, we sort of develop this, this process for, for thinking about how things evolve um, that, that, that we call design fiction and, one of the ways in which I sort of imagine when I, when I kind of go through or do an exercise with folks about it is, just, is to say, uh, I'm, I'm going to put you in a slightly crappy, not very well functioning kind of oils leaking out of it, out of that one little nozzle time machine. So it's, it's imperfect. It's going to take you somewhere. It's definitely going to be in the future, but I'm not sure where you're going to end up. And once you end up there, I'm not really sure. Um, you, you only have maybe like a few moments. You're not really sure when the machine's going to actually, because it's just not running well. It's just the firmware is really outdated and whatever. So, if, if you were to if you were to transport into some future, I'm not saying how many years. It's just some changed world, and meta labels has evolved in a way that you know you sort of imagine or expect. Like, what might you think that you might see? Like, if you in, if you wound up in a, a, you know, like a corner bodega or in a library or, you know, I'm sitting at a bus stop next to while, while a couple of, um, you know, high school students are kind of hanging out doing whatever high school students might do in this world. What, what, do, you, what do you see? I would expect to see um, a strong focus on like the provenance of, of like the works 
you know, seeing like little MTV bylines of like artists song, mm. you know, label in the corner of everything. There's like some, some ubiquitous way that we're reading everything that we see. Um, I would imagine culturally that people are producing less content mm. um, that people are contributing maybe to just as many things, but they're, they themselves are not like the idea of just being a content factory to stay on top of like feeds is maybe something that just seems quite outdated. Yeah. You know, I think like the, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but the slow wheel gets traction, you know, and I feel like this is a culture where maybe that's more apparent. Um, and I would just also think like, what would be, what would be incredibly, what, what would be dominant themes of this world? One is that our online relationships are probably as important or even more important than our offline ones, I would imagine, in this universe. Um, and, and second, I would imagine that being a member of a group a, will be, what groups you're a member of will be extremely important and that groups will not exist within platforms. Groups will exist across platforms. Um, and like being a member of uh, the near future laboratory will mean as you go from website to website or even physical space to physical space, you might have a different experience as a result of being a member of your group. Mm. Um, and that these groups that we're a part of become like a, a key piece of our identity and both in the way of like how we define ourselves emotionally, but also in the sense of like how you show your ID to get into places. And I think like groups will have that level of meaning. And uh, one of the projects I've been working on is called The Post-Individual. It's a book uh, around this idea, this idea that um, we are people who are born as individuals, but we don't see our individualism as liberation. We see it as something that we have to graduate from and solve for. So we create our identities using the web to create these identity stacks of all these different layers of lenses we choose to see the world through, that we get pilled by, that we ultimately experience our lives through. And really like the whole self today is not, it isn't like our emotional and our spiritual self. It's all the identities and avatars. It's all of our alt accounts. And so all, all of these groups are just going to prove to be more and more meaningful and more and more central to like how society functions. And, and I think in that world, meta label is, is a sliver of that. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's I, I now I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Great, great. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate the invitation and uh, and your and your attendance at Bento back in the day. And uh, and it's been great to just openly explore these kinds of ideas. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how things evolve and, and who knows, maybe participating in some fashion. All right, great. Very cool. Thank you, my friend. All right, take care. Okay, there he goes, Yancy Strickler. Super fun conversation. And if you want to discuss MetaLabel more in the context of General Seminar, please join me and 16 others at General Seminar number 20. These things sell out super quick, so do not hesitate. You can sign up over at generalseminar.com. And don't forget to support the podcast, rank it on Apple Podcasts, write a review, become a Patreon over at patreon.com slash nearfuturelaboratory. Generally help a fellow out. Okay. Thank you for listening and your support. Seriously, thank you. It's all going to be just fine. I'm Julian, and I'm out.